Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning. Welcome to the latest edition of the Weekly Insight. My name is Andrew Dore. I am your host. We appreciate you joining us today. Before we get started, a couple of housekeeping items to knock out of the way. First of all, as I know our good dear friends at the compliance department love to hear me say, just a reminder to everyone that what you are about to hear today should not be construed as individual investment advice. We are not going to be offering any sort of securities for sale or for you to look at directly. This is more of a broad economic conversation. We would hope that you would speak with your individual financial advisor. So with that out of the way, one other housekeeping item. When we started this podcast, one of our hopes was that we would do these weekly check-ins on what's going on with the economy, what's moving markets, and that's certainly what we're here to talk about today. But we also had really hoped we would start to do some longer form, more educational topics. We have a lot of friends in the industry that we think are brilliant, and we want to get them on here and let you hear from them so you can hear some of the things that we're paying attention to and we're hearing about right now. So we're going to start that. We just recorded our first educational episode with a good friend of ours, Dan Meter from Trinity Investors. Dan was in town last week, and we should be posting that podcast sometime later this week, maybe early next week. So keep your eye out for it. It should be a fun one. With that, let's dive into what's going on in the world. A lot going on in the world, right? How's everybody doing out there? It just feels heavy right now. Things feel stressful. Had a client the other day say to us, it just feels like it's a pandemic and then a war. You know, what's next? The locusts? We had another person say, you know, this kind of feels like the weeks leading up to the pandemic. And we certainly know how you feel. We get it. Um, There is some really disastrous things going on in Ukraine right now. And what Putin's doing is awful. It scares the people in Europe as well because it's frighteningly close to them. Here in the United States, we don't have it that bad. So we can't whine. But... We are starting to see some psychological effects in the market, no doubt about that. A lot of volatility happening in the marketplace these days. And in these times, we really like to come back to our home base, the things that intellectually really form how we do business at Insight. And it comes back to the discussion of the fear and greed cycle, the psychological aspects of investing that you've heard us talk about so many times. And we're starting to see that cycle What's interesting is we're starting to see that cycle in kind of hyperspeed right now. So if you look back at last week, the volatility and the swings in the market, in, even in the intraday, were very interesting because you opened up the market on Monday morning with news that Ukraine and Russia were going to sit down at the table and talk about peace. Boom. The market was up one and a quarter percent. Then, you know, news that those talks didn't go so well unsurprisingly. Boom. The market was down 1.6% by, call it, noon. And then, boom, it jumped up another 1.43% to end the day. So strangely enough, on Monday, we saw 1.23% swing to the upside, a 1.66% swing to the downside, a 1.43% swing to the upside, and the market actually ended up for the day. It wasn't a bad day. Then on Tuesday, things weren't looking so good in Ukraine. Boom, the market was down 2.12%. Then on Wednesday, Fed Chairman Powell stepped to the podium. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He had some good things to say. Boom, market was up 3.09%. Thursday morning, the market ended down 1.6%. 
or opened down 1.6, then spiked up 1.19. And then the next morning, the market was down 2.56% from its Wednesday high, excuse me, its Thursday high on news that Russia was attacking around a nuclear facility in Kiev or outside of Kiev. So you get the point, right? It was just these violent swings. But in the end, the market ended up being down just a little bit more than a percent for the week. It really didn't amount to much. But our job is to understand those swings and more importantly to kind of separate the fear and greed cycle from things and focus instead more on the facts. And to us, the facts are it's really a, a tale of two markets right now. You have the fear side of the market, which is the conversation around Ukraine. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then you have the greed side of the market, and, and that's where a lot of the economic data is today. And we saw some really interesting stuff coming out of the Fed, coming out of the jobs report this week, and we want to go through that. Let's talk about the fear first. You know, we've beaten this into the ground. Last week, we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about sanctions. And, you know, I think I mentioned in that conversation that we were recording it over the weekend and we couldn't be positive that things weren't going to change by the time it posted. And so we hedged a little bit, but we were a little, uh, we, I was a little grumpy about the lack of oomph, if you will, to the, to the sanctions. That changed Monday morning. The White House came out and really started dropping the hammer. NATO is really dropping the economic hammer on Russia, and it's showing. The The conversation certainly has changed. The Russian stock market has now been closed. It doesn't look like it's going to open up for at least uh, sometime middle of this week. We'll see if that actually happens. The, the economic noose is tightening around Vladimir Putin. There's no question about that. That's good news, you know, and, and, and the other good news, the Ukrainians... God bless them. They're fighting their tail off, and they are keeping a much larger, technologically superior armed forces at bay, and we have to give them en enormous amounts of credit for that. That's good news, but one of the things that I think we have to be very cautious about, one of the things we have to pay close attention to, is that President Biden and NATO have been clear. We will provide sanctions. We will provide arms. We will provide humanitarian support. But no U.S. or NATO soldiers are going to engage in battle. We are not at war with Russia, and we have no intention of moving that direction. But, as he said in his State of the Union on Tuesday night, we will defend every square inch of NATO soil, which starts right at the, at the western border of Ukraine. Is that the right approach, the wrong approach? I don't know. You know, as I sit here, I can, I can create a justification in my mind for a lot of things, Right? I, there's part of me that really wants us to take the United States Air Force, which is one of the baddest instruments of warfare ever, and go out and, and defend the skies so that the Ukrainians can win the fight on the ground. I think that'd be great. But I also know that that would be an absolute act of war. Putin would look at that and say, and Putin said it over the weekend, that any uh, sort of no-fly zone implemented by the West would be considered an overt act of war. So do we want to be at war with a nuclear-armed Russia? I don't think so, but we can, we can debate that all day. The bigger question for me is not really what we'll do, but it's instead how Putin will interpret what we are already doing. The French government, I think it was the French foreign minister this week, had a quote in which he essentially said, and I don't speak French, so I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially said, we've declared economic war 
against Vladimir Putin. When I saw that, all I could think was, shut up, man. Don't give him an excuse. The old line, casus belli, Latin, it's an act justifying war. Don't tell him it's war and let him come back and say, well, see, Europe has already said they've declared economic war on us. And so I worry about that a little bit. I worry about what happens when you've got him in a corner, right? The old, the old line, I'm a farm kid. We had this old uh, abandoned house on a farm not far from uh, where our home place was. And one day, one of my buddies and I, we were probably about the age of my son now, probably in about third grade. We hiked through the field over to this abandoned house, and we were going to check it out. You know, it's the kind of thing a third grade kid does. It's kind of scary, and you kind of feel like you're exploring. And and we, we walked upstairs in this old abandoned house. And right as we walked upstairs, we heard this kind of growl. And in the corner of the room was a badger. And if you know anything about badgers, cornered badgers are a pretty scary thing. I've never, I've never moved that fast in my life. We ran out of that house so fast, screaming our butts off. But the point is, point is, a cornered Vladimir Putin is a pretty scary thing too. And so we're walking a very fine line here between economic sanctions and arms deliveries and everything else. But Putin said over the weekend that, you know, the sanctions are potentially an act of war was a statement he made. And so we'll see. It's possible we still get drug into this thing. The Biden administration has a very fine line to walk, but we certainly will hope and hold out hope that they hold it together and more importantly, hold that hope for the Ukrainian people because they need our prayers right now. That's the bad side. That's the fear side. The greed side, pretty good economic data. Some pretty dovish statements by Fed Chairman Powell this week. So let's let's go through those. The big one here, Powell testified in front of the House and Senate Finance Committees this week. That's always really, really watched, certainly, right? And anytime we are also in the midst of beginning probably one of the most highly anticipated interest rate hike cycles ever, certainly what Powell said at the committee was was big news in the finance community. So we've discussed this before. We know March 16th, there's going to be an FOMC meeting. We know they're going to raise rates. We talked about a chart a couple weeks ago, and I put it back up on our website in the weekly insight memo this week, which showed, you know, this is as of February 17th, there was about a 78% chance, according to the market, that we are going to see six interest rate hikes this year and a 46% chance that we are going to see seven. Additionally, what I didn't point out when we posted this chart before, but the market was saying there was about a 35% chance that we would do a double hike in the March 16th meeting. Meaning instead of raising the traditional 25 basis points, the Fed would choose to jumpstart this process and, and hike rates 50 basis points in the March meeting. So that's kind of the environment that we're in as we go into this Powell meeting. And so he started his testimony and it was very clear. You know, he said, we need to raise rates to battle inflation. The quote was, quote, we have phased out our net asset purchases. With inflation well above 2% and a strong labor market, we expect it will be appropriate to raise the target range for the federal funds rate at our meeting next month. Exactly what everybody was anticipating. But then he did something that I don't think I have ever seen him do, which was he telegraphed, what was going to happen in the meeting on March 16th. 
And the quote from him was, I'm inclined to propose a 25 basis point rate hike. When you see him testify in these hearings, you know, he always kind of nibbles around the edges, but he never gives real numbers on things like this. That's actually, I mean, it, it's a boring sentence, but it is a stunning one in how this type of policy gets managed. This was no doubt a message from him to calm markets. It's, it's him saying to the market, listen, hey guys, I know you're all freaked out. This war is scary. You want me to be dovish, but just know we've got to do our jobs. We've got to keep inflation in check, but we are not going to pile on and make this ugly. So as I mentioned, the day he said that the market went straight up. But what's more important is that it has caused a significant shift in the market's expectations for rate hikes for the rest of this year. So now the odds of six interest rate hikes this year, instead of being 78%, are now down to 34%. The odds of seven interest rate hikes, nearly off the table, instead of being 46%, they're now 21%. And also, obviously, the odds of two interest rate hikes this year have gone down to zero. Interestingly enough, there's a 6% probability of no interest rate hikes at the meeting in March, but I don't think that's really likely. I think we're going to see that 25 basis point hike. So now we wait. What the Fed says on March 16th is important. We know the immediate case. We know there's going to be a 25 basis point hike probably. The question, however, and what we're going to get is the dot plot. You know, the estimation from the Fed on how many rate hikes they'll see this year. So if that number is, is six or above, market's probably not going to like that. If that number's five or below, I think the market likes that a lot. And we, we will see some positive movement from the market. So keep an eye on that. That's coming up about a week and a half from now. The second big jump in the market came off the jobs report on Friday morning. The headline number was stunningly good. The, mark, the economy created 678,000 jobs in February. The expectation prior to this report coming out was that we were going to have about 423,000 new jobs. So it beat that number by more than 50%. Even better, unemployment fell from 4% to 3.8%. That's a great number. The number that's actually really important, though, in my opinion, is the number that was kind of hidden behind all that. And that was the wage growth number. Because we've been seeing wages grow and grow and grow over the course of the last year. In fact, wages have grown 5.1% over the last year. That's a big number. That is undoubtedly a big driver of inflation. So here's what happened last month in earnings growth. Nothing. Earnings were flat. Or wages, excuse me, were flat. So I don't want to exaggerate this here. You know, we... You go back to a couple podcasts ago, and I was talking about we were starting to see the wait times at the docks uh, at the ports come down. We were starting to see consumer spending on durable goods drop drastically. We were starting to see the manufacturer situation look better, all of which would be signs that inflation is starting to wane. Flat wage growth is yet another sign. So we're starting to stack chips here. We don't have the numbers yet on inflation, and there may be a couple months here where inflation continues to grow before it starts to shrink. But we're starting to see the indicators that inflation is going to begin to come back in line. And don't think that Chairman Powell isn't seeing that too. Don't think that the Fed isn't seeing that. Don't think that's one of the reasons he's comfortable saying we're going to do 25 basis points and not 50 basis points this time around. 
it is a good news sign. It is something that, don't get excited about it yet, but we're getting there. We are slowly getting there. So that's something to be favorable about. So where do we go? We have the fear thing on one side. We have the greed thing on the other side. Which do you put your, you know, which basket do you put your eggs in? You know, one is the perfect example of a black swine event. You guys have probably heard black swans before, but black swans are unanticipated catastrophic events to the market. The 2008 financial crisis was often deemed to be a black swan, although I think there are some folks that were selling short on mortgage securities that would tell you it wasn't unanticipated. But black swans are bad deals. Well, World War III would be a bad deal. Nuclear oblivion would be a bad deal. Likely? No, it's not. But the odds are not zero today. Six months ago, the odds were zero. Today, the odds are very, very low, but they're above zero. So we need to pay attention. We need to be watching that closely. I'd make an argument that if Putin starts lobbing nukes, how the market does is going to be the least of our worries, but it's something worth paying attention to. The odds on the, are much higher, however, I think, that this ends pretty much how it always ends. You know, I've, I said this to Andrew Kleist the other day, my business partner. I said, you know, I've never seen a megalomaniacal dictator comfortably retire, right? When was the last time you ever saw one of them on the beach in Cozumel, right? This always ends bad for these guys. They always die, one way or the other, either from old age or from somebody who comes in and puts a bolt in their head. They always die in office. It's going to end poorly for, for Vladimir Putin. I don't know when. But in the meantime, the economic news continues to improve here at home. That's good for portfolios. I'm not a gambling man, but I would take those odds at this point. And I think that we can remain comfortable in anchoring our sentiment right now to the economy and to the economic news instead of anchoring our sentiment to something that's happening thousands of miles away that while horrible and disgusting is not impacting the United States economically. That's largely it for today. There's one other housekeeping item I want to bring up for our Iowa clients. We are an Iowa-based firm, and it was something that came up this week. A lot of talk here at home. The governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, was giving the State of the Union response, and in it she announced that she had signed the largest income tax cut in the history of the state. She did sign it. It may be the largest income tax cut in the history of the state, but I would point out a couple things. The main piece of this is a cut in, or making essentially the Iowa income tax a flat tax, which would bring the top rate down from, I think it's 8.53% to 3.9%. So that's almost a 5% income tax cut. That's a big deal to most people, but it's not going to happen right away. So tax year 2022, no change. Tax year 2023, the rate goes from 8.53 to 6. Then in 2024, it goes to 5.7. In 2025, it goes to 4.82. Finally, in 2026, it gets down to that 3.9% flat rate. Long term, good news. But, you know, don't, don't color me skeptical, but 2026 is a long ways away. Economic conditions change. The, powers in par- or the parties in power, excuse me, change. So we're going to keep a watchful and, and I would say hopeful eye on this. But for now, for our Iowa clients, this is not something that's going to impact your taxes this year. And the impact next year is going to be 2.5%, which isn't bad. But don't, don't, don't go out and buy those boats yet, I guess I would say. So with that, we'll wrap it up this week. 
As always, if you have any questions or would like to discuss this further, please don't hesitate to give us a call at 515-273-1333 or visit us on the website at www.insightwealthgroup.com where you can see all the data that we talked about on today's podcast in our weekly Insight Memo. So with that, we'll leave it there. We hope you have a great week and keep an eye out for our next podcast from Mr. Dan Meter. We're excited to have him on the phone. Thanks. Bye. Securities offered through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.